Patriots, and tonight is Sunday. It's always good to be on Sunday, April 16th in year 2023. Hope you all had a blessed weekend and a relaxing weekend. It's been a nice reflective weekend for me, and some heavier thoughts too, which we'll get into tonight as well. A lot about the state of where we are and some choices I think we're all going to have to make at one point or another, and they're not comfortable ones for people. But life is never said to be comfortable as we want it. And sadly, we're in war. And we're going to have to start reframing our thinking in terms of war. People don't want to do that. And that's kind of the challenge of balancing the life and the war. Before we begin, one thing that is important is sleep. And we have had an amazing support from my pillow, and this has been an amazing company since this whole war really kicked off. Mike Lindell's been a stellar patriot, invested literally millions and millions of dollars in trying to get this election of 2020 reset, and he's still the only one out there that's fighting for that regularly, while everybody else is trying to race along and convince us that somehow 2024 is going to be okay, even though we didn't fix 2020. I don't know how that's going to happen, but anyway. MyPillow.com, great company, led by a great man, invests heavily in the nation, and they're great products. And of course, you know that there's MyPillow 2.0, which is a great product that is supported by other products of the same new technology thread, which is a heat leveling thread. I'm going to let Mike tell you all about it. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back, the MyPillow guy. And you're looking good. Still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever, MyPillow 2.0. When I invented MyPillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. MyPillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature-regulating thread. MyPillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of MyPillow. 
The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time, when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. So head on over to MyPillow.com. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. Lots of great products. My Pillow 2.0 is awesome. I have them. They've got the bed comforters, which are with the same thread. They've also got so many other great products. So head over there, mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code bards, all in a good time. And you'll be very happy you did. You'll sleep much better. I mean, I honestly look forward to getting into my Giza cotton sheets and my My Pillow 2.0. And I do mean that. I'm, I'm not a guy that likes to sleep, but when I get in there, it's really, it's an absolute assurance mentally that I'm going to get a great night's sleep. So again, mypillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. We have prayed a great deal for Shelly and Tim. Shelly, as you recall, she's been the hospital. She was the salon owner for in Dallas that literally stood up against this deep state single-handedly, one of the very strong and noteworthy women in this fight that kept her business open against all odds. And I always say that I'm so grateful we have had the strong women in this period to literally show the nation what strength is like and what patriotism is like. We have an update, and I, this update I'm going to tell you is, is I, I, it's not an, it's not, this is not at Tim. But it's a reflection of our society, of where we are. And unfortunately, I can tell you by the tenor of this that there's a, tends to be a bit of um, self-consciousness in the request for prayers. We're going to continue to pray for Shelley, and we're going to continue to pray for Tim. But the comments that you're going to hear Tim share here, and, he's, and I think he's very gracious about it. I'm not going to be as gracious. Because it has to do with people's inability to take a step away from themselves and miss something very important. So let me read this. This is day 12. The message says, Why do you keep posts about your wife like she's the most important person in the world or something? And Tim goes on to say, it went on with a couple of choice adjectives and some other pointless comments. But it did make me think for a while, why am I making these posts? I know she isn't the only person that's sick. This floor we are on is filled with patients that have brain injuries. They have spouses, friends, and families that care about them too. And, and I'm well aware that other families are facing uncertain futures and life-changing events. I know my wife isn't the most important person in the world, but she is the most important person in my world. And I am hopeful that someday she will read these posts and look at all the thousands of prayers, overwhelming support, and countless friends and family that were her champions. And just maybe someday, somewhere, somebody who is praying for a miracle will be able to see anything is possible. Last night and today have been very slow and, st and steady day of minuscule improvements. A little more talking, a little more movement, along with the challenge of Shelley becoming more aware of the situation and circumstances. ICU de delirium is very real, and I can't even begin to imagine what she is thinking and feeling throughout the day. I keep praying for her memory to improve, and for the circuits in her brain to continue to repair themselves and create new pathways. I pray for continued building of strength and for the suppression and removal of the fear and anxiety that comes with the struggle to move. I am thankful for every one of you. Our journey is really just beginning, and your support has been a true blessing. Tim. We're going to pray in a minute, but I have some words on this. Shelley is the most important thing in his life, and that's what's so admirable about this is Tim is giving us a glimpse into what the passion of a love for another truly is about, selfless and everlasting love. 
people that write comments like this, I can relate to. And it's easy to say, well, shrug it off. But when you're coming to the world with a true heart and a heart for God, it really hurts when somebody comes out and stabs like this. And those people know it. People send stuff and say stuff because they want to cause disruption, because they want to see another person be stabbed by their own guilt, their own anger, their own frustration at the world. And it speaks very deeply to their lack of appreciation of walking in the body of Christ. These people that are like this hit hard when the heart is most vulnerable and most open. And there's plenty of them out here. And it really has to be our duty to not only reassure that what these prayers are about continue, but also help build an armor and a hedge of protection around Tim. It's easy for us to say things like, oh, that's Satan's work. And probably in the end, it is. But the problem we do, every time we do that, the problem is that we're, by, we're sidestepping accountability. We're living in a world right now with zero accountability. And people that do things like this have no accountability. They don't, they either don't think past the end of their nose or they're so consumed with themselves and they're like, well, I want attention too sort of thing that they would dare write something like this at a time. And how they even got to Tim, which tells me that they were close enough in a prayer circle, whatever that means, to write some garbage like this. So just join me in a prayer for a moment, patriots, because this is a prayer where we need to be praying for Tim as much as we need to pray for Shelley. Father, we are in such an insane time, a selfish, self-consumed, arrogant, self-digesting mood in this nation. And when we come across the true miracle of love and passion for another, it just invariably doesn't seem to take long before some troll or some individual, whatever they are, decides to try to disrupt that. Father, we're praying for a couple of things tonight, for Shelly and Tim. For Tim, we're praying for strength and a hedge of protection around him. And the assurance and the confidence to know that so many stand with him and to not worry about the errant comment. It's easier said than done, Father. For that person who wrote that comment, Father, may their words come back and smack them in their face. And may they find a moment, whatever that looks like in your justice, to be dropped to their knees and be humbled. We have so much arrogance and evil floating around here that it's becoming a new normal place. So, Father, we also want to take a moment and thank you for the opportunity to pray for Tim and Shelley. And as difficult as this time is, we just pray that Tim can hear this story, these words, that he's an inspiration of reminding us of what love is. And so, Father, we also pray tonight for Shelley. We pray and declare miraculous healing. Father, we have seen amazing changes in this in the last week. Day 12, as long as it may seem, we're seeing tremendous healing. And we're just praying for a continued miraculous healing and that we declare over her. And to restore her health to full and to bring her back into Tim's life. And in so doing, for them to realize a new level of love that will be shining into the world for others to see, experience, and be inspired by. So, Father, please protect Tim and Shelly. And please guide her forward now into a faster and more accelerating pace of healing that will defy all the doctors and spread like a wave of light across the entire wing in the hospital where she's at. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name.
Amen. So much of what we are dealing with in this time is, I don't know how to even say it nicely, but it's, it's the digital cesspool that we're all wrapped around. And it just draws us in, and it doesn't matter what account or what place you're on. Everything is about similar topics. I can give, them, give you a few of them. We're right now, we're, a, we're consumed with this Luciferian nonsense of transgenderism, which is being driven by a handful of people with a number of key actors that are intentionally being paid to influence an entire nation and influence youth. We are overwhelmed right now with violence that is coming out of black America. A demonstration of what happens when an entire culture has a broken family model where 70% of the crimes in the country are committed by one group of people and the majority of fathers have either abandoned or are in prison. That's what we get. And there's no accountability And it becomes something that people want to highlight, which is unfortunate because it comes out as racist. It's not racist. It's a simple fact that there is a metastasizing problem in our nation of violence. And a great deal of that violence is coming from an entitled welfare class, which unfortunately is dominated by black America. And with this other dimension of our world, with all of this garbage going on, we are dealing with a lack of general accountability at every level. Every level. So I had some time this weekend to kind of unplug. I had to give a lot of thought to some things. Friday's shows were pretty intense. And I, so I'm clear about this because... I don't, I'm not pulling back on anything I've said over this last week about this transgender movement, nor about my position. And the reason I bring this up is we have to start sorting out in our heads and getting real about where we actually are. It's a very confusing time, and for people that have not been at war and for people that are going along their daily lives, it's very easy to pretend that we're not at war. And it's very easy to act and, and perform like, oh, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. This is a big deal. Our nation is at a breaking point. And a lot of my intensity on topics is driven for some purpose. And I want you to hear this tonight because I, I did a lot of reflection on this. I was exhausted after my Friday shows. And exhausted in a deep way. And it left me with asking some questions to Father. Because a lot of where we are right now, and and this is kind of the question I was asking, it's like I've talked often about the position of Joshua or the position of David or the position of Gideon, even Moses, where Father is leading them in this state of war. Or they're walking in unison. And we also know that some of these enemies that they're facing were Nephilim. So it's very easy, very easy to justify death and violence, which is kind of an odd thing when you think about it. I mean, it's we become very sanitized in our scriptural readings. It's like, oh, David killed a guy, cut off his head. Oh, Joshua, they slayed a whole city. And then you get this, like, yeah, but they were all Nephilim. And I, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you that when we start to dehumanize at any level, and we start to take it as a matter of fact, we become hypocrites in the end. In war, in real war, like we know of the modern day, when you approach a target and when you do an an operation, you cannot have vengeance in your heart. I've talked about that in infinitum, and I'm driving it home tonight. This is why I've talked so much about being clear in your head about what the target is. But you have to know that when you're stepping into that arena, that when you put your foot in that arena, that this the life has changed. 
Unfortunately, what has happened to so much of America is everything has changed, and yet people don't want to realize it's changed. We have preachers right now that are defending transgenderism, trying to quote the Bible by saying that because there's eunuchs, transgenderism has been around forever. That's a lie. Most of that was had to do, most of the issues in the Bible ended up as a result of cults anyway. But they're, they're trying to maneuver around this conflict. And this is what is happening because we have pastors right now and we have voices in the church and we have voices in our, in our lives that are afraid to make a stand and to make a stand that's clear. So they start to soft pedal it. And when you talk of a hard line, it, it gets people uneasy because they've never been in war. And because they've never been in war, they want to rationalize things as if war is somehow something different. War is ugly. It is an ugly event. And the fact is that if you spend a little time just cruising around to see what's going on in our inner cities, there's a war going on. And there's a war going on in our country that's been baited and fed by an elite. And so while I am 100% behind the belief that we can cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead, as we drill into those practices, I am also 100% clear that we have to understand our red lines of what we're willing to commit to. And that's a hard thing for people to do because it means you're going to have to sacrifice if that line comes. And the problem is people obsess about it too much, but that's not the issue here. In battle drills, you do battle drills because you learn your limits. And if you're lucky when you're in training, you are learning from people that have actually been in real life circumstances where their lives were at risk and they had to make the hard choice. I've never met an individual who had to cross that line of having to take another person's life that at one point in their life or another, those burdens didn't catch up with them. And I have been a person because of my walk that has allowed me to be with people and to be there for people, to just be a voice and to be an ear for them as they've talked about some of the events they've been through. The problem is that we deal with, we like to do the heroics of our special operators and our soldiers, but they're human. And they carry a big burden. But at this point in time, that burden is no longer shared by an elite group like themselves. You may not see bodies dropping on the ground. And I think I, I sometimes wish Hear me out on this. I, I wish this war was more visceral for people, for them to realize what they were actually doing because they don't understand war. They think they understand war. So there's a lot of, we're, we're in this sort of academic platitudes of this moment of time of trying to think through things that people don't have any experience of. When we were in our first contact with the Taliban, in Panjoy, when I was with the Canadians, was went the first with them. I, I I still don't really know how we got through that day. Not because it was, not just because of the number of rounds that we're firing. I, I mean, it's just crazy events that go on. I had an RPG blow up six feet from my head on the other side of a of a of a mud wall, and it's just it's insane. And you didn't even think twice about it. The temperature outside was 130 degrees in the shade. We were wearing our body armor. We had all of our equipment running around. I was drinking Gatorade. Anytime we could get Gatorade, we'd get these packages that were worthy of a gallon. And not quite that. They were worthy of like, like, you know, several quarts. And we'd pour them into a Gatorade bottle, the whole packet, add water to it, and you could pour it down your throat without even swallowing because you were so hot and so thirsty. When I got through at the end of the day, I had a kind of a 
greenish colored pants that were white. So was my shirt white. And that was the same with the other guys from what? Sweat and salt that was coming out of your body. They were so, we were so saturated with our own sweat that at the end of the day, the pants were crisp like they had been, like you would put starch on them. And the reality was that there were people there that wanted to truly kill you. And in the response was that we were going to try to kill them. That's a harsh reality when we start walking in Scripture and to understand what we're saying here. We are in a world where people that wear suits and ties, the people that talk nice platitudes to you, that talk about the economy and the transition of the economy, people that want to talk about whether they talk about your rights to flip your gender or your rights to protect whatever, these people, for the most part, are all part of the same club, and they want to kill you. And they want to strip your children away from you. So my question is a couple of things that everyone needs to start pondering on. What is your red line? What is that place where you will absolutely under no circumstances bend and will sacrifice your life at any cost? And when does that enemy become so vicious that you have to make the decision that they cannot belong here anymore? These are heavy discussions and they're heavy reflections, but they're real. And I don't put this on here so people can go, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, this is exactly the problem because we need to understand what we're going to do. There is a moment when obviously David, and it's very easy to rationalize the attack on Goliath because he's obviously a Nephilim. So we're just able to go, oh, well, he's a Nephilim. Obviously God wanted him removed. Okay. We'll roll with that for a minute. But what about our founding fathers? And what about our black robe regiment? Because at a certain point, there was a decision made by our pastors in this nation to cast off the black robe, to pick up a musket and go stand in the defense of liberty. Were they fighting redcoats that were Nephilim? The answer is no. They had arrived at a point, and I sincerely doubt that God said, hey, y'all, it's time for you to pick up the muskets and go kill British, because I don't think that happened. But I do know that in standing in a righteous morality, they understood throughout the years of preaching that there was a line that they could no longer allow the British to cross. And it was the ultimate red line when they did. And when they threw down their black robes and they stepped out, Lexington and Concord was led by a pastor. And they slaughtered their brethren. And I don't say it was easy for any of them. But there became a point that was clear because when that pastor, one of those pastors took off his black robe, as the story goes, and he walked out of the church, all of the men stood up in the pews and followed him out. So obviously they had hit a red line. We don't always know where our red lines are. We might surprise ourselves. But at a certain point, we have to find those red lines. And that means exercises in our minds, asking yourself what you value most, or if you're simply going to roll over and pray and be a dead cockroach. And it's, it's, conflict, it's conflicted in Scripture, in my opinion, because that is not a clear place. And that makes it difficult when we go through and try to find Scripture to be the pure and simple guide to all of this, because quite frankly, it's not. 
If you were to read 2 Chronicles 20, which I was just reading before the show, Jehoshaphat's position was to place themselves in fear and wailing before Father in prayer and hoping that he will intercede as the sons of Moab and sons of Ammon and some of the Mennonites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And I personally, I'm just telling you, I read that and I can't, I can't get into that scripture. I can get into the power of prayer and I can get into the power of God intervening to help, but I can't get into the place where we just like, God fix it for us. I can't do that. And I need, I'm being very clear here because this isn't how I'm wired. And I'm sure there's people that go, oh, that's not, that's not the way I'm going to live. Then bless you. Okay. Bless you. But here's what I also know. There are watchers on the wall and their role is to do what we must do. And I am one of these that when certain lines are crossed, I will do whatever I need to do to protect my family and to protect my friends and not just to do it in defensive form, but to take a step beyond that line to make sure that whatever the threat was, that it is completely rooted out to its genetic core and removed off the face of the earth. Because there's certain things we can't coexist with. And never once will I stop talking to Father and never once will I carry a heart of vengeance with me and I will always hold myself accountable to Father regardless of the actions or the consequences of my actions. That's who I am. And Father knows this. Trust me, we have had these conversations at length. But our culture is wanting to wrap itself inside of a big pastry cream puff. And we want to worry about flying overseas again. And we want to get back to normal to, I don't know. And, it, and then people are stunned. And what ends up happening is events happen. And you're like, well, why did that happen? Why did we have an active shooter there? How come my car is trying to, someone's trying to steal my car out of my driveway. And when my husband ran outside to protect it, four kids came out and beat the hell out of him. Where's our red lines? And I don't just mean individually, but if we each are defining red lines, where, where are our red lines as a, as a culture, as a community? You know, I shared the story Friday night of our sheriff and a deputy. And the deputy was fired after 27 years because he wasn't going to comply to the transgender policy in the jail, and he's a jailer. And according to the sheriff, who's a constitutional sheriff, and I respect him immensely, they tried to make a compromise, and no compromise could be found, so the deputy was released. And so we've got two narratives going on in our community. And the church took a side. One of the churches took a side with the deputy because he stood up against the transgenders. Except that the policy was passed in 2017, the deputy abided by it by his own admission. And then suddenly he got a conscience and he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Okay, good on him. I get that. But where's the real root of that problem? It's not our sheriff who's being trying to protect the county from a million-dollar lawsuit and who is under certain requirements by the, by the sheriff's association to provide a separate facility or whatever they do for these transgender freaks. The root of the problem is actually at the pulpit. So we're a little bit late in the game. The pulpit finally wakes up and they jump on the one side. That is not the place the pulpit should have been here. So I'm glad they found a red line. But where was their red line in 2017? Did it change? Was it okay to accept transgenderism in 2017? Was it okay to accept transgenderism when Obama came to power? Because that was obvious. We had a vice president. No, he had a wife, Michael. There was an obvious gender flip. 
even though no one wants to believe it, still to this day. The matrix runs, runs deep within him. Transgenderism has been here steadily. The churches weren't paying attention. They didn't want to. They preached within their dead stone walls. They didn't get out in the community, do the hard thing. Sure, it was great to send missionaries out. I just got a report from a missionary in El Salvador. He's shaking his head. He's like, there's no transgenderism or this stuff down here. People don't put up with it. They drive it out of the country. Sounds like a good place to be, if you ask me. Because they know it's wrong. Again, where's our red line? And I'm really struggling a lot with this. Because there are red lines all around us. Let me just pivot a little bit, and I'm going to bring it back here in a minute. I, I had a great day today. I made something I haven't made before. I just, I love doing it. It was, um, I made barbecued chili today. So, I mean, literally on a, on a wood and charcoal barbecue, I used the cast iron pot, cooked up the meat in the pot with the onions. I love cooking on cast iron. It's absolutely fantastic. And started the beans yesterday, dried beans. It was black bean chili. Black beans, by the way, if you don't know, take quite a while to cook. It's best to soak them overnight with a little bit of salt. And then it takes about probably a good six hours to cook them after that even. And I made my own adobo. If you don't know what that is, you take some dried peppers like ancho. I took some ancho chilies today and I took some chipotle chilies and another chili I had you boil them in water for about 15 minutes, and then you, you you take the seeds out before you do that. And then you, once you boil them for about 15 minutes, you put it in a blender with a little bit of the water. You blend it up, add a little bit of salt, and I add a little bit of vinegar. And it makes just a fantastic base to go in with your meat for the chili. And then you've got garlic and, and of course, onions, like I said, tomato sauce from our garden from last year that was in there, some chicken broth, and then your chilies, a little bit of cumin powder, or your, I'm sorry, I said chilies, your, um, your beans, the black beans. And then just let it cook and kind of uh, indirect on the barbecue and put in some apple wood and let it smoke so the, the uh, Cast iron is open on top, so that smoke is filtering into the chili. It's just, it was just fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Had a great day doing it. And a number of things were crossing my mind as I was doing this. And where we were a minute ago was talking about consequences and accountability. And the thing is about when you're working with fire, there are consequences and accountability. If you pick up the cast iron pot with your hand, you're going to burn yourself. And if you don't stoke your fire, things are going to go out. If you stoke your fire too much, it's going to get too hot. So little simple things like that. But as if anybody cooks, you know that in a virtual sense, there's some red lines we can't cross. If you're going to cook meat and you want it rare or medium rare, you're not going to cook it to 170 degrees inside because you're going to get a piece of shoe leather. So there takes, there's, cooking is one of these things, especially when we're really cooking and we're not just preparing prepared foods. We're involved and engaged in the action and we're living and breathing in that relationship with something and know that there's certain things we can do, can't do, and there's certain limits we can't exceed. That's just fact. And unfortunately, in the world that we're in, we separate these things and compartmentalize them to where those lessons don't translate to our daily life. I love cooking on fire, I, I, on real fire, whether it's charcoal or wood. I love cooking. It's, it's, it's just very cathartic, and it's very primal. And it's very real because you, can, you have to be on top of it. You can't just 
put a timer on and walk away, stick it in the microwave, whatever you're going to do. This is, and the food tastes so much better anyway. And it's a simpler life. And it's more connected to the way our world really is. And I think that when we start to look at how everything is right now, so much of our problem is that we've been led to a place of comfort within the digital space, which is so filled with these problems that if the digital space was to erase today, other than having a specific line available for Bard's FM podcast, of course, But if the majority of the digital world went away, our culture would stabilize. We would begin to get along in a relatively short period of time. And the whole country would get smarter in about two weeks. So we're really fighting a monster that's been, we've allowed into our homes. It was the TV when our parents grew up. That was the programming device that was allowed into our living rooms and whole houses are literally shaped around that. And now we have internet devices that we're holding through our smartphones and everything else. And we're obsessed with keeping in touch with news and I'm not excluding myself. Okay. It's just, I'm not putting this out there. Like somehow I don't get wrapped up in this cause I do. But when we take a step back and we start to realize the magnitude of what we're facing, a couple of things come very simple. And this is where we kind of started. The most precious things that we have is our family and our friends. And that's in the worldly way. And all of that hopefully is wrapped in this glory and beauty of our relationship in Christ and in Father God. Some, for their entire walk in this life, are called to do nothing but pray, prayer, worship, and so forth. And I think that's wonderful. And it's also scriptural. But there are others that are called to stand on the wall and take whatever is thrown at them. And not just talk it, but do it. And not just talk in platitudes about it, about what it might be, but having literally walked the talk. And those worlds, though they are all part of the same body, look very different. And decisions are made that are very different. But if you're, if you're being sieged in warfare, there's a couple of things I can assure you that are consistent, no matter where you sit. If you're on the point of the spear or if you're in the support element, in the intensity of war, the mission is always first, and the mission will change you because decisions are going to have to be made that put people's lives at risk. In the rear part, those lives at risk will be those forward of you typically. And at the point of the spear, you're making decisions for yourself and your brethren, your, your brothers in arms, that will affect everybody. It is also the point in war where family and friends become the most important thing you have. And you will sacrifice anything to protect them. Thing is that we haven't communicated that well to the world. And this goes back to kind of the red lines on everything. Our enemy doesn't believe that we're willing to sacrifice anything. What they have seen is we're willing to comply. And they don't understand a moment of joy and cooking on a barbecue that can switch in an instant to raising a sword and fighting to the death. Because they see those two things as juxtaposed and they don't understand the passion that binds them both and the love that brings them together. In the moment of preparing food, you're doing something blessed and you're in, in unison with Father God. And you're sharing that with family and that becomes a process of breaking bread. 
But there has to be a red line in there that we have all have to accept that at some point in there, we will sacrifice anything to protect that sanctuary. Our homes are that sanctuary. Our communities need to become that sanctuary, and our counties need to become even more that sanctuary. And I don't see that as needing a directive from God to say that or do that. Nor do I have any intention of having to wait for a directive from Father to say, stand up on the line and on the wall and draw your sword and be prepared to defend to death, because I will. We're not there yet, and I hope we don't get there. But we really, as a people, need to start clarifying what it is that we're standing for, what it is we're living for, and what it is you're willing to sacrifice. Like I said, words are cheap. And you won't really know until you get to that point, but you're also not going to know until you start embracing that there is a line that you may have to cross to sacrifice and protect in the same breath. It's perhaps more native when you've walked in places where your life has been put at risk, and that's not exclusive to combat. That can be people that have climbed the side of a mountain with friends and had to deal with suffering of extreme decisions where someone's life could literally be lost because of one of the carabiners it breaks or a, a rope that snaps. Maybe it's your hunting and you're, it, it's that process of hunting which is very visceral and very real. Maybe it's the wild boar that breaks out through the brush and you literally have a half a second to draw and drop that thing before it gouges you with its horns or its tusks. I don't know what the situation is in your life. But I know that as we walk with God, we're going to have to start stepping into a more difficult place in this fight. I'd love for him to come down and wipe it all clean and say it's all good and over, but that just doesn't resonate with my soul. And I don't find conflict with establishing very clearly to my enemy where that line is going to be if you cross it it will be your end or mine, but I guarantee you it will be a painful end if I lose mine. And that sort of martyrdom mentality is not something I'm putting out here because I'm excited about it, but it's because I've drawn my red lines of where this enemy will come and they're coming. And I still, and will always hold out hope that through prayers, just like Jehoshaphat's prayer, I will always hold out that God will be able to intercede, but I truly believe that it is not going to happen just by me sitting on the sideline. It might happen, but the cost will be too great for me. And so I don't find myself in conflict, but I do encourage people to process through what those lines are. We have something very special here we were given on this earth. We have an immense capacity to love one another beyond any measure of any other species out here. We have an incredible gift of literally having dominion over all evil. And I would like to be able to walk that place with Christ, to be able to say that I don't even have to raise a sword of steel, I can just raise the sword of the Spirit. And yet, as we know from the garden, Peter did and Jesus never rebuked him. Our world is not a fair place, but the worlds in which we build are amazingly beautiful and rich. This little space that I share in my town and this little and property space that we have out of town, they're truly blessed. And there's people around there that are blessed that share that. And that comes a lot from our prayers and it comes a lot from our focus. But the one thing I can say is the people that are, put, that are around me is they're warriors in their heart. And they, if I sat down and we had a conversation with together, 
those people that are truly in that circle of that warrior heart with me, every one of them will be able to delineate where that line is that somebody cannot cross. Because at that point, all bets are off. And literally, in the sense of what we stand for, will not be defiled under any line. We're getting very close on a lot of fronts right now. That's why I bring this up tonight. I've, it's been weighing very heavy on me, this war on children that is just continuing. And as a culture, we're not doing anything. It weighs on heavy on me every day when I see the number of elderly that have been victimized by this COVID shot. And that especially rings home because my parents are 86 and 85. I love them dearly. And that's one of those lines that I would put myself on that I will, they, no one will ever cross in coming at them. And that's where we all have to know is what are those lines? Because the more that we define them, the more that we're clear on the action that will follow and what we're willing to do, this is when the true meek of a warrior arises out of you. Because the meekness of the warrior is not weak. It's understanding very clearly where those lines are you will not cross. And it keeps you restrained from having to draw your sword. And I will guarantee you, even though the enemy will be loud and boisterous, they will sense that there is a line. Now, they might be foolish to cross it, in which case they'll pay a price. What we have to continue to pursue in our life is a place of understanding that we are walking under kingdom and moral law. And as much as the laws of this world are threatened to us, our obligation and duty in this world, our task and purpose in this world is defined by God's rule, not theirs. And as we watch this insidious world unwind where states are now declaring that your child will be taken from you like Washington if you don't allow, if they want a transgender surgery and you say no, or if they run away, the state will house them and not tell the parents where they are, California and Washington, or a child of any age, whether they're two years old or, or 18 years, 17 years old, can get, a, after it, can get an abortion pill. Washington, Oregon, California. Those are just three states. The question I keep asking is what's going to stop these people? Are we just going to pray and it's all going to go away? Are we going to wait to that final hour when Christ finally returns after we've had thousands and thousands of children mutilated? And what then are we going to say to Father God? We were waiting when we were told we needed to protect the little ones? And where is that? What are we going to say when we talk about our parents that we, and the elderly that cast aside the wisdom class that we're supposed to be taking care of because they are the ones that don't have a voice or the widows and we've done nothing? Are we to just wait and pray and hope that we have an intervention somehow? We have a responsibility in this world. And there is a line in my world that cannot be crossed. And it's, I think that we're seeing this line being, they're pushing up against it for a lot of us. And there's a point when we're going to have to make a decision of whether we continue trying to balance this one foot in theirs and one foot in ours, or whether we're truly going to stand where the captain of the Lord of the host of army stood and be very clear that we proclaim our lands as, as kingdom, as holy ground. And if you cross it, there's a consequence. My heart aches for these children as they do for the elderly. My heart every day aches for the children that are being brainwashed to mutilate themselves, whether it's by drugs or by surgery, 
And it aches even more when I think about the fact that most of them are going to be casualties that will eventually be cast off into the shadows because we want to forget about that era. That's just who we, what we always do. And it's not their fault. But who's speaking for them? And where is that strong voice of every church in the community standing up? And where is that voice of every church in the community making sure that every elderly is taken care of? And if it's not happening in the dead stone walls, then it means it falls on the remnant. And as much as we do good, we better understand that there's a line that cannot be crossed because this evil's on the move. And it needs to understand that at a certain point, we will take off the black robe and we will lift up the musket. That has to be clear because life is precious. Our world is precious and evil truly wants to destroy it. Not on my watch. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Very blessed reflection and a very difficult time as we're balancing the many issues in our lives. As we build our faith and our strength and our ability to heal the sick and cast out demons, raise the dead, and our trust and faith in that, we equally have this pressing beast that's at our door that continues to mutilate the children, destroy them mentally, isolate the elderly, victimize, prey on them as victims of the system, destroy the family, separate us by race. We don't have answers, Father. And you've heard my prayers on this all weekend. This is truly one of these fights that were thrown into the ring and there's no clear directive. And as much as there are those out there that want to speak with platitudes about how this or that has been, too few people have ever experienced true war. And now suddenly this entire world is thrust in the midst of a war of the most insidious kind using information, psyops, and the attack on our thoughts to try to persuade people to destroy themselves. So, Father, we pray tonight for a clarity of where we stand, a clarity in our hearts and understanding that not everybody's going to be in the same place, that there will be watchers on the wall, there will be those building the wall, and there will be those teaching and those counseling, and there will be those praying, and there will be those leading from behind. I should say administering. Because our true leadership has to remain on the front point of this. But with that, Father, we truly pray for the courage of everyone to start hearing where their red lines are. To understand that we are arriving at a point where we can no longer allow this willow to bend because it's about ready to snap. And when it does, if it does, and it's not well-rooted in you, it will become chaos and violence. You put on my heart, Father, back in January to know thy enemy. Who is your target? And we continue to pursue that and to understand that. But part of that as well, Father, as I put to you this evening for this group, is we also must understand what our red lines are, what we truly value, and where that line is that we were willing to cross, that we are not willing to cross, and we are willing to sacrifice everything to defend. We pray for that clarity. We pray for that courage. We pray for that strength. Thank you, Father. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are here in a time to deeply reflect. And it's a time for us to truly work together as community 
and for us to understand that we have a very big burden on each of us. But we'll get through it. We'll work together with it, and we'll work in prayer to find it. But this time is now upon us. The clock is ticking, and this noose is tightening. And they're playing a game of three to five years as each time they start nicking away, running these cycles to try to wear us out. It's very simple. We know where we stand. Hopefully you know where you stand within your, your faith and equally know where you stand within your family and friends. At the center of all of this are our communities and where we live. And they are sacred places, places that must be defended at all costs. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.
Makes you shiver and I